That smooth Christian jazz you're hearing means you've tuned in to Same Old Song, the lectionary podcast of Mockingbird Ministries. I'm your co-host, Aaron Zimmerman. I'll be joined by Jacob Smith as each week we break down the lectionary readings for the upcoming Sunday to give you something to think about, and if you're a preacher, to give you something to preach about, and no matter who you are, to give you a connection to the never-changing message of God's grace for actual people like you. Unzip that monogrammed faux leather Bible carrying case and cover, pull up a chair, and let's dig in. Ruth? Ruth? Baby Ruth? <laughs> Who said it? Yeah, it's good. Chunk. No, no, not Chunk. Sloth. In a movie that could not be made today for so many reasons. For so many reasons. Goonies, a Steven Spielberg film directed by Richard Donner, starring mm. a young Sean Astin who would go on to great fame playing Rudy and Sam Gamgee. Mm. And Ooh, I bring it up. A, why? We're talking about Ruth, Jake. Mm, oh, okay. There's Baby a lot Ruth. There's a lot to talk about today. Uh, not only you're listening to this, this episode dropped October 25th, and by all accounts, you should get your Christmas shopping done if uh, you want them under the tree in two months. Absolutely. Also, Supply chain, shipping, Suez, and cargos. Pete, and Pete Buttigieg is on paternity leave, so what are you going <laughs> to do? <laughs> Everything's falling apart. Transportation, <laughs> commerce, all of it. So order your gifts now or maybe make something yeah. out of some leaves. Ooh, wouldn't that be nice? Crafts. Some lint from the screen in your dryer. Popsicle sticks. There they you go. Great ornaments because <laughs> I love you. <laughs> you know what people really love? Uh, is those things that are made out of when you take clothes pins, mm-hmm. wooden ones, but you take them apart and you glue a bunch of them together to make a snowflake. Mm. You know what I love? I love drawings. <laughs> Homemade cards. So anyway, uh, so these are just, you know, we're two months out just to get your th- juices flowing already. So do your, you gotta, By the way, do your kids, when they make you cards, on the front of the card, does it say, to colon daddy? Yeah, sometimes, yeah. So yeah. it did when they were younger. Now they're, they're yeah. both very sophisticated. And then today's also, uh, we are, is Reformation Day. So October 31st on a Sunday. Um, so it's very exciting. So, so get your tonsure and a hammer, go nail something. Mm. Mm. Or, uh, dress up as your favorite martyr. You know, that could be an exciting thing. So, and, and, but don't light yourself on fire. Yeah. Okay. So anyway, so, regardless, we are here and our, our readings do open up with, uh, the book of Ruth chapter one, verses one through 18. Then we make our way continue through Hebrews chapter nine, verses 11 to 14. And then we come to a very, um, uh, could be a difficult preaching, uh, passage, uh, Mark chapter 12, verses 28 to 34, but we will give you all you need to, um, uh, drop the G-bomb on your converse, on your congregation this Reformation Day. By which Jake means the gospel. Yeah. Not Is there Gangnam any other G-bomb? Oh, I yeah. Know. I don't know. Yeah. So, I will say one little quick tip on Halloween, because this is obviously also Halloween Sunday. Uh, not that that's a thing. It's all Hallow's Eve, I guess. But a lot of your congregation will be going trick-or-treating that night. Uh, or maybe you've already had a trunk or treat in your church. This is a time that Christians get really weird about traditionally. I saw a friend of mine on Facebook put something like super judgy with photos about all of his neighbors. This was like a very Christian person and like lamenting what a waste of resources it is to put these inflatable 
Halloween decorations and and I will say that uh, Halloween, I feel I've preached on this before. It is super Christian in that. Hear me out. It's the one time of year people get at their houses and interact with their neighbors and dose. Everybody gets candy. As opposed to Christmas where you have to be good to get stuff, Halloween actually sort of ritualizes this even if you're bad and even, you know, if you're dressed up like a, you know, a bad thing, you still get candy. I'm not saying that the occult doesn't matter and there's, you know, that stuff absolutely matters and, you know, stay away. But as far as Christians, if you refuse to engage with Halloween in any way, you lose one of the best opportunities all year to meet your neighbors and to interact with them and uh, form some actual relationships with human beings that don't know the mm. Lord. Or maybe they do. Anyways, end of rant. Praise God. You know, this is yeah. not an issue. New York's a Halloween town, so uh, we love it. So, uh, But on yeah. now to Ruth. So, I mean, there's a lot of people that think that Halloween came out of the land of Moab. And so... Um, Haha, <laughs> segue into the reading. So, but uh, um, no, but Ruth uh, opens up with this it's this wonderful story about, uh, you know, uh, mother in laws treating their daughter in laws nicely. And really, that's that's the, the essence of the book of Ruth. Actually, that's not true. What's happening here, Aaron? Well, Moab. Hold is, on, I got to adjust the chair. There we yeah, go. It sounds like you have used some WD 40 because it's not squeaking as much as it yeah, has. Yeah, but it's, I, it doesn't last. So. I'd like you to sprinkle some salt water on it so that next time it's really rusted and squeaking. This chair right. clearly celebrates Halloween. So, <laughs> <laughs> so Moab is this country uh, near um, the land of Israel. And this is, the, the whole thing about Ruth, this story is a prequel to, uh, you know, First and Second Samuel and the life of King David, basically, because it, it tells you where David's great-grandpa came from, or grandpa. And, and great-grandpa. But uh, this is a story uh, where you have God working through really surprising places, and it very much tells the gospel. It very much shows a picture of a God who justifies sinners as opposed to rewarding the good people. So, Moab, they're bad, they're bad folks, at least in the <laughs> eyes of the Israelites, because uh, they had tricked the Israelites when they were in their journey through the book of Exodus. And uh, as a result, um, there was kind of a curse pronounced on them forever and ever and ever. And so, it just shows you how bad it was for this family in Bethlehem. Um, this man named Elimelech, which always makes you think of that song like, Elimelech, 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 Elimelech. Anyways, he and his wife, who's named Naomi, they go to Moab. And which again, it's like leaving the buckle of the Bible belt, Israel, to go to a den of iniquity. You know, they move to Vegas, basically, because mm -hmm. they, they, they're starving. He and his wife and his two sons. And even worse, they go down there and they marry women who would have been seen as awful. Uh, yeah, the, you know. I mean, they're the, essentially the Moabites are the people that uh, – the one group of people, for because of their wonder betrayal, uh, they were not to ever be invited into the assembly of Yahweh, as it says in Deuteronomy. Uh, they are the offspring of the incestuous relationship between Lot and his daughter. Um, it um, – they are uh, bad folks. And so, right off the bat, this story, um, any reader of it would be like, 
something is going on here. Now, it opens up by telling us that it's, uh, you know, during the time of Judges. And, you know, and there's that interesting line that runs throughout the book of Judges. In those days, Israel had no king, and each person did fit as they saw in their own eyes. And so, uh, these people, um, uh, they, they saw fit in their own eyes. And so, in the midst of a famine, they go down to Moab, and that's where they live. And they allow their sons to take Moabite wives. Uh, that something is totally off. But one of the things is, is that this uh, book kind of illustrates the culture of the time of the judges, but it also paints a picture of, it, it would hearken also every reader back to, uh, because they're in Moab in the time of a famine, so there's this sense of exile going on here. It also like harkens them back to the promise of Abraham, that uh, from your line, uh, the, the, the multitudes, the nations shall be blessed. And so even here, the Moabites, the arch enemies of, um, of uh, Israel, uh, through this woman are being brought into a promise. So this is what's happening right off the bat. Yeah, and uh, the reader, though, would have been really probably judging Elimelech and Naomi pretty hard for their going to Moab. Um, it's almost selling out because Yahweh was the God of Israel, and to go to Moab was to be living in the wrong street address. Uh, mm-hmm. And um, so, they've kind of turned their back on the on God, and then they're there, and not only are they there, they're, you know, making themselves impure by marrying these Moabite mm-hmm. women. Orpah, which, by the way, a misspelling of which is where Oprah's name came from. Oprah, the uh, famous Oprah. Well, I mean, there's only one Oprah. And uh, and Ruth. So, what were you going to say, Jake? Oh, no, I, I think that's right. And so, then you have this, like, basically this tragic situation here where the um, the the woman's sons die, and uh, which means that they're basically uh, all destined for prostitution if they stay in the current place. And there's this key line here. It says, "Then she started to she started to return with her daughters daughters in law from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the country of Moab that the Lord had considered His people and given them food." And I mean that is kind of a big gospel line there. She didn't see it. She heard that God was at work, and really that's what we're always hearing is that God is at work, um, and He's still at work today uh, through through this line this family. You know what I mean? God redeeming and and at work through this line in the person of Jesus for you. Yeah, and the, and just to kind of give away the ending because it is likely that if you're if you're a liturgical parish following the lectionary that next Sunday, November 7th, you will be observing All Saints Day, which is November 1st. You usually do it the Sunday after that. So you will not have the rest of this story that you would get if you were just sticking to the regular readings for next Sunday, November 7th, uh, where you see that, you know, Ruth is determined to stay with Naomi. There's this great bond of love. A lot of people have it written on their wedding rings. I've seen it, like, where you go, I'll go, and your people be my people, and um, never going to give you up, never going to let you down, never going to run around or desert you. Mm. I don't know if that's the first time we've rickrolled our (laughs) listeners, but it certainly won't be the last. So, uh, so Naomi goes back to, to Judah, bitter and empty and desolate, but Ruth goes with her. And this amazing thing that Ruth is like, again, it's hard to hear it. I'm, I'm trying to think what a, a comparison would be. Um, maybe this is like somebody leaving Manhattan um, and moving uh, to, you know, rural Maine and then uh, like in the back country or something and then goes back to Manhattan and like this rural backwoods person wants to go with her and ends up being the hero of the story, somebody that normally would have been looked down upon and rejected for all kinds of reasons. So, 
Ruth says, I'm going to go back with you. Um, and it's, but the story is not just like a testimony to, you know, oh, isn't that sweet? Like, Ruth is devoted to Nomi, and that's just a great, sweet, kind of hallmark, heartwarming situation. Like, what ends up happening is that Ruth goes on to, at Naomi's direction, sort of seduce a guy named Boaz, and uh, it was what's very called a kinsman redeemer, way. yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. In, because, anyways, so she marries Boaz and ends up well, having like She just lies uh, at his Jesse. feet. That's all that She happens. lies at his feet, which is a euphemism for not feet in Hebrew. <laughs> uh, she uncovers his feet and lays down at them. And then, anyway, so they get hitched and they end up having Jesse, who is the father of Obed, who's the father of uh, David. So, um, King David, as you may know from such hits as uh, Las the Magnitas. Psalms. Yeah, and the, the Psalms. Psalms. <laughs> so, anyways... Uh, this is the story of God working through somebody that some that most people would have thought was like irredeemable and sort of unclean and impure, and um, and that God's grace doesn't really respect all the hierarchy and divisions and things that we do. Um, so, anyways, I, that that's what I'd say. It's hard to preach without doing both Sundays um, or without telling mm-hmm. the whole story. Um, otherwise, it's just sort of this like I don't know, cute story about but nevertheless yeah. you do have a you do have a powerful through the entire that entire book you have a red meta narrative that points to jesus through the Amen. whole thing and so yeah because uh, oh, ruth is in jesus's lineage because mm-hmm. jesus is the son of david and this is how we get david's great grandpa yeah so um and then you come to hebrews chapter 9 verses 11 to 14 and uh and what we see here is uh, a continued conversation about the role of the high priest and uh, oh, wait, you know, wait one more thing we're done with Ruth. No, I want to say one more thing. <laughs> well, go ahead. Uh, just, just the um, this is, that Ruth converts. Yes, uh, is significant. Great point. Um, she realizes that in returning to Israel with Naomi, Ruth is converting, and it sounds like her heart has already been moved in this direction. So there's also just kind she of a will message. She no longer here. be worshiping Chemosh. Right. Yeah. Um, your God will be my God. Uh, and uh, and she even uses the name of Yahweh, the Lord, in verse 17. Mm-hmm. And this just, this would have been preposterous sort of in Israel, a Moabitess converting to the worship of Yahweh. It shows that, I mean, this is just, this is a very gospel-y sort of thing. Like Jesus is for everybody and breaks down all the barriers Mm -hmm. between all the different people. And we don't know where the Holy Spirit is at work. And here he is clearly at work. And the the irony here, the dramatic irony is that the Israelite woman, Naomi, is faithless. And the Moabitess, Ruth, is faithful. Uh, And again, this is just a testimony to the the grace of God and how that Mm -hmm. God works through all kinds of people and Jesus is for everybody. So, that's all Mm -hmm. I wanted to say about that. Absolutely. And uh, that's a very important statement there too. I mean, since we're doing it, you know, she doesn't say your God and my gods. She's not a pluralist. It is uh, your God, Yahweh, shall be my God. Very good. So, now can we go to Hebrews? You ready? I'll allow it. All right. Super funny. That's good. Um, so, uh, Hebrews chapter 9, verses 11 to 14. And we're in this, once again, this major conversation about the role of the high priest. And uh, the question that's floating around is one, 
not only is how was Jesus a high priest, and we learned about that last week, he's part of the order of the Melchizedek, but now like what is his role? You know, and this actually, this particular chapter in Hebrews chapter 9 actually like um, is an argument for an early dating of the book of Hebrews because this is, you know, the, the question here is like, man, our old worship, there is there are smells, there are sights, there are sounds. I mean, things are happening. Things are getting sacrificed. Like the garbage at the truck time. backing up outside your window. <laughs> it's actually we're doing a lot of construction up in the building. Finally, thank God. And so okay, what you're hearing is God. a dumpster. Yeah, pull up, uh, literally to haul concrete and uh, stucco and everything out of my building. So <clears throat> keep that in your prayers. But uh, um, uh, so the question is, is like, so I mean, but what is Jesus doing now all the time? And Hebrews chapter 9 answers that with the job description of how Jesus fulfills the role of the high priest. And so, he comes as the high priest with all of the good things that come with it, which is his grace and mercy. Uh, he passes through a greater and more perfect tent, which is his death, resurrection, and ascension, where now he's in the Holy of Holies doing something very, not with blood of goats, which never really lasted, but a real Holy of Holies based on the uh, propitiation of his own blood. And so, uh, really, this is uh, getting at the idea that Jesus is the better high priest in every way possible. Yeah, so, it's, well, this is an amazing passage. Again, answering the question throughout the book of Hebrews, who is Jesus and why does it matter? And here we see this as he's the high priest. It's important to remember that as Jesus was suffering and dying on a cross outside of Jerusalem's walls, inside the walls was a huge temple where people thought Yahweh dwelled, and priests would go in there, human priests, and sprinkle blood and offer sacrifices for sins. And so, when he, and, and this was the job of a priest, to be an intermediary between people and God to try to wipe the slate clean and make things okay. But Hebrews has already gone on to say how that never really lasted and doesn't really work uh, because you have to keep doing it over and over, and the priests themselves are sinners, and so... This is pointing out how Jesus is such a much greater high priest, the one we actually need. And so, when he, the writer here says that he enters the this tent, you know, the tabernacle, the temple of God, not made with hands. So he's not. So Jesus is outside of Jerusalem, not in Jerusalem, in the temple. Uh, and so it says he entered once for all into the holy place, which he's already said is not of his creation and not with the blood of goats and calves, but his own blood. He's talking about entering into this sort of cosmic presence of God to offer sacrifice through his own blood. So, the temple is this building where people go and and there's just a sense where this, this doesn't really accomplish what we really need. And so, Jesus does it in a way that is full, complete, lasting, perfect, as I said last week, quoting from the Book of Common Prayer. And so, again, how much more with the blood of Christ, not in this human temple that in a few decades, it's going to be destroyed, but through his own flesh and through the work of the Holy Spirit offers himself and truly without blemish to God. And it, it says, purifies our conscience from dead works to worship the living God. And the thing that preaches in this passage is that everybody in your congregation has a conscience that is not pure, has a conscience that is weighed down, has a conscience that is heavy, has something they're worried about, something that they're, they, there are people who've been meaning to do something for years in terms of saying, I'm sorry to someone that they hurt and they, they're too scared to do it and their conscience is pained because of that. There's somebody who's, there are people in your congregation that have had 
long-lasting affairs that are still going on and their conscience is painting them. Or maybe it happened 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 30 years ago, and they still have never really dealt with the consequences of it. And so, you'd be amazed the secrets people are carrying. So, that conscience that is heavy and burdened, this says the blood of Christ has redeemed all that. And so, I think that's, I mean, that's an eminently preachable grace gospel message that you can you can give here. Jesus' Amen. blood is actually shed in the place that it actually matters and your sins are actually wiped away. This is powerful stuff. Yeah, man, it's golden. And I mean, and really that, that bridges perfectly into our gospel reading today, uh, which is Mark chapter 12, verses 28 to 34. And um, you have the... Um, you have, uh, you, you, I, Jake started grinning because he leaned forward to, to say his piece and his chair went... Is that why, Jake? Yeah, exactly. And they're about to start <laughs> drilling right above us, so it's going to get really loud. But anyway, um, um, you know, my building's a reflection of our lives. It needs some work. So anyway, but uh, the um, the scribes and the Sadducees, they approach, uh, they've been disputing with one another, and uh, they want Jesus to settle the dispute, um, uh, which is, which are the greatest of the commandments of all of them. And so, um, and really, you know, when you hear people talk about, oh, the heart of Christianity is, you know, uh, the, the love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and your neighbor as yourself, that is, that's, that's the law talking. And so, and that's like the key to understand this. They are debating about the commandments and which is the greatest of the commands. And so, what Jesus does here is he takes the first command, which is um, all of the others, uh, the other four on that first tablet of Moses flow from this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the only Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. How's that working for you? And then he summarizes the second tablet of the law of Moses, which is, you know, you shall honor your mother and father, thou shalt not murder, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not keep adultery, uh, you know, uh, etc., etc. He takes all of that and he says, uh, uh, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So, one coming out of the other. And he says, there's no other commandments greater than these two. And the scribes are just completely blown away by this. Um, so much so that they're like, um, you know, Great job, <laughs> and, uh, and uh, <laughs> yeah. you know, as, like that's the Jacob Smith paraphrase. Hey, man, that's good job. Oh, that's great. The first time they're like, "All right, we'll give you a star, Jesus," yeah. and uh, and nobody thought about killing him in that instance, but just for that instant. But um, you know, one of them goes, "This is much more important than the whole burnt offerings and sacrifices." And as we were talking about, and then Jesus says, "You know, you're not far from the kingdom of God." Uh, right here, there is this pivot that is being. Uh, made right now is so so for because for this the, the the Pharisees and the scribes, not necessarily the Sadducees, although Sadducees as well because they were the guardians of the temple. The um, everything revolved around what was going on in that temple, whether it was corrupt or not. Everything and whether you like followed all of these little rules to make yourself pure around that temple. Everything ma mattered there. And Jesus is like, mm, none of that actually matters. Uh, mm -hmm. These two things really do matter. And, uh, you know, hearkening back to the prophets, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. Um, you know, uh, and so um, they're beginning to, there's this moment of kind of like, if you call it a, a moment of clarity, as we would say in AA, you know, this guy had a, like 
oh my gosh. And at that moment, Jesus says, you're not far from the kingdom. But why would he say you're not far from the kingdom there, Aaron? Uh, because, I mean, it's a statement that um, he is beginning to realize that he needs something other than sacrifices offered in the temple and that he is going to need what Jesus Christ is about to offer himself, as we read in the book of Hebrews. This is getting to the end of the book of Mark. So, Jesus is on his death march to Jerusalem at this point. And so, um, if you've begun to see that the burnt offerings and sacrifices are not actually a permanent and lasting solution to the human problem, then you begin to realize you need something else. Um, and that is going to be what Jesus is about about to offer. So, he's saying you're sort of, you're, you're ripe for what's coming. Yeah, there it is. Uh, because, well, well, ultimately, it's because, yeah, uh, he is the one who fulfills the law. And I feel so, like I but, passed the test, too, just like Jesus did when, yeah. when the Pharisees and scribes asked him a question. Mm-hmm. Oh, you did a good job. And so, Thanks, man. You definitely went to seminary. So, and, um, <laughs> uh, but, no, absolutely, there is, there is one who is coming who is much greater. And uh, he will fulfill the law. And he loves the Lord perfectly. He loves his neighbor as himself, even more so he loves his enemy and justifies the ungodly. And, uh, and, uh, and because of his faithfulness, uh, he makes all of us who are faithless uh, faithful in his sight. And, uh, you know, that's the good news of the gospel and how you get to it. So, um, indeed, if you think it's just about loving uh, God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and your neighbor as yourself, my friend, you're not far from the kingdom of God, but you don't quite understand it. Uh, yeah. uh, the real understanding is, is that the king has come. The kingdom of heaven has come indeed near you. Uh, he's laid himself down for you. And by his blood, once and for all, you have a clear conscience from dead works in order to worship the living God. And I'll, I'll point out that in our liturgy, traditionally in the Episcopal Church, and you find this in the right one service of Holy Communion, you begin the service by reading this summary of the law. Mm-hmm. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And the congregation's response is always this, Lord have mercy, Christ have mercy, Lord have mercy. So when you hear the summary of the law, it's never go out and do it. It's always, we realize we have not done it. We cannot do it in ourselves and we need mercy. We need pardon. And that's the appropriate Christian posture to this commandment. So, in your church on Sunday, if you're a preacher, if you're preaching on Mark 12, don't uh, make your sermon just full of illustrations about how to love the Lord your God and how to love your neighbors yourself. You can definitely talk about those things, and those are great, beautiful, and wonderful things. But I guarantee you, everybody in your congregation pretty much already knows those things, and they're already failing at them. (laughs) And you telling them to do it is not going to add anything more than when their mom, dad, or coach lectured them about doing it, or the last church they attended, the preacher lectured them about doing it. Amen. So, make sure it's about the gospel, that yes, this is the law, and this is impossible, and Jesus has fulfilled it for you, because he is the great high priest who's offered himself uh, once and for all, not with the blood of goats and calves, but his own blood, thus obtaining eternal redemption. Hallelujah. Mm. Put a fork in me, I'm done. It's like almost like a Hebrew off right now, right at the very end here. So, but uh, I mean, that's exactly, we've told you what to preach. Now, um, go and do likewise. Have a wonderful uh, Reformation Day. Uh, get your Christmas shopping done. And um, um, yeah, we'll and, see you next And week. I just have to say, 
I implore you, listeners, by the bowels of Christ, if you are planning on giving any child at your house tonight Tootsie Rolls, please repent and give them, like, the good stuff. I don't know. I just have this thing, Tootsie Rolls. They get stuck in my teeth. I'm not that excited about really them. Really, do. I love Tootsie Rolls. You man. do? Because mm-hmm, they're, like, oh, low-cal. for you. They're low-cal. I guess. Low-cal, mm-hmm. low-taste. <laughs> give me a Snickers bar any day of the week. All right. Praise the Lord. <laughs> Talk to you We're later. Done. Bye. Somebody's looking. Somebody cares. Somebody wonders what you're doing today. You know we crucified him, buried him, but three days later, well, the stone got rolled away. And yes, Thanks for listening to Same Old Song. Hope you found some gospel nuggets for the pulpit or for your life. If you like what you heard, leave a review or rating in Apple Podcasts. Dave Zoll will be sad if you don't. Thanks to TJ Hester for audio production. And remember to keep that Bible by your bedside, ready to rock and roll.